Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. God's beloved people, grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's hard to say this is the Gospel of the Lord at the end of a text like this one. Gospel, as you know, means good news. And the good news of this reading is far from obvious. This is one of those Sundays that with all of the conflict and tension in our society at a fever pitch, I would love to just nestle in with all of you and read texts that are comforting and feel like balm for our wounds. These are not those texts. The readings from Genesis and Mark are challenging, each in its own way. Part of the challenge is related to their content, but much of it is how they have been interpreted and used throughout the centuries. The creation story from Genesis has served as a theological ground zero for those who argue that women are by nature subservient to men. And this same text is quoted and re-quoted for the purpose of delegitimizing the love relationships of gay lesbian, and gender non-conforming people. It is a painful text for many people. And any of us who have been in some way touched by divorce, which statistics would say as most people in this room, we know how this Mark text lands in our ears. It sounds unexpectedly harsh and judgmental coming from Jesus. It certainly has been interpreted this way in the church throughout the centuries. So are these scripture readings good news only if you happen to be male, straight, and have married only once? Or is there good news here for the rest of us? I believe that there is. But we have to be willing to follow in the steps of Jesus and do the work of reinterpreting scripture. This is what Jesus is doing in our gospel reading. He is reinterpreting Torah. Now he knows that Torah is sacred that it contains the scriptures of his people. 
He also seems to respect it as living word, words through which the Spirit of God is still breathing, still speaking, still opening people to the movement of God in our world and in our lives. I think this same Spirit is at work in the texts before us today, even with their difficult history of interpretation. I don't know if you've read this Genesis 2 story lately. It's one of those we all think we know. The human created from the earth, animated by the breath of God. The earth creature has everything needed for bodily life. Food, water, purposeful work. But there's a problem. The human is lonely. So God starts sculpting other earth creatures and bringing them to Adam. Can't you just imagine this scene? How about this one with the long neck? Could this one be your friend? How about this colorful one with the flapping wings or this one that goes moo? Do these do the the trick? It isn't until God makes the second human being that the loneliness of the first creature is quieted. At last, he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This was a familiar expression in ancient Hebrew. It meant that you recognized yourself in someone. You saw a similarity, a likeness. Perhaps it's something like our expression, soulmate. At the heart of this scene is not how different the humans are, but how similar they are, how alike. The second person is created as a companion and a helper, The word helper, according to Hebrew scholars, is a word most frequently used in the Bible to describe God. There is nothing second class or subservient about this word or about this new creature. The two are made for mutual relationship, for partnership, to delight in one another and to delight in God and in being part of God's creation. It's interesting in this story The relationship between these two is not about procreation. It is in the Genesis 1 story that we hear the command to be fruitful and multiply, but not here. And the relationship doesn't seem to be primarily about meeting economic needs. It is human loneliness that causes God to continue creating. We human beings have a deep longing to be known to be valued, to be connected, to be loved by another. The human relationship in this story isn't transactional. It is existential. It is about finding a partner with whom you can share equally in God's good creation, one with whom you can be vulnerable, naked and not ashamed, as the text puts it. It's a beautiful story. Jesus hearkens back to it when he's asked about divorce laws. A group of his fellow Jews approach him and ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now Jesus appears a little irritated with them. He calls them hard-hearted. I wonder if this is because their understanding of marriage and divorce seemed a bit too transactional to Jesus, as if it were simply a matter of legal code. There was conflict among Jews at the time about proper interpretation of divorce law. There were those who thought it was proper to dismiss your wife for any reason, like you didn't like what she cooked or how she looked. 
And other Jews believed that a man could only divorce his wife on grounds of adultery. We are told that the Pharisees are testing Jesus with their inquiry. Most likely, they wanted to figure out which camp he was in. But he wasn't in either of the camps, because marriage is not rooted in the law, he taught them. It is rooted in creation, in this vision God has for mutual, intimate, life-giving human relationship. This doesn't mean that all people are supposed to be married. We don't even know that Jesus was married. It doesn't appear that he was. But it does mean that marriage in our religious tradition is more than a legal transaction. It is one expression of God's care for us. God made us for each other, for friendship, for partnership, for mutual love. Marriage is one way these basic human needs can be met where intimacy and vulnerability can dwell in the context of trust and faithfulness and commitment. Which is why it can be so painful when it comes apart. Any of us here who have been affected by divorce know how complicated and sad it can be. I have not borne the primary wound of a divorce, but I'm married to a divorced man, And I know the concentric circles that ripple out from that. I remember when Ray and I got married, I was so eager to be stepmother to his two children and then mother to our child who came along. But it was strange to be in a family where we couldn't all be in the same house at the same time. The older kids needed to be with their mom and their dad. That was important, and I understood that. But it made me feel sad that we couldn't all be together, especially on the holidays. I had always hated the expression broken family, but that concept actually helped me surprisingly. I came to understand that broken didn't mean defective. It just meant that there was something I couldn't fix and that it was going to hurt sometimes, like a broken bone that heals but still hurts in certain kinds of weather. And it helped me remember that God dwells in broken places where things are tender and painful and not quite right. We long for the wholeness that we find in these creation stories in which all is good and human beings live together in harmony with each other and with God. Too often this is not the case in our broken world. But the good news is that God is not afraid of the broken places. In fact, God makes a home there amid the hurt and the disappointment and the grief. In Jesus, we see God's tenderness toward those who are wounded, those whose relationships have not turned out the way they had hoped, whose lives had not gone according to plan. In Jesus, we see God willing to be wounded, willing to take on our vulnerability and brokenness in order to bring a healing and a wholeness that we cannot accomplish on our own. This is good news. As is the news that God, our creator, is still at work creating. The spirit that blew breath into the first creature is still alive and active, and blowing the breath of life into us. God is at work opening new possibilities, new relationships, creating a future 
even from our broken dreams. Raising the dead happens to be God's specialty. This is true not only for our bodies, but for our relationships, our communities, our spirits. God is at work in all of these, bringing healing and new life. Thanks be to God, who holds all of us forever in God's wide and tender embrace. Amen.